Welcome to the GSD Factor Podcast Season 2 with your host, Misha Blamire farish Welcome to the GSD Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Misha Blamire farish And today, I have the esteemed honor of having Juliet Foster calling in from London, England. Hi, Juliet. Hello, Misha. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. So, Juliet, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Okay, well, I'm not going to start with my age, but if you want to know how old I am, just go into Wikipedia and you can find out my birth date, but I'll give you a clue, 1964. But um, <laughs> I, I'm actually a journalist by profession. I started off in radio and I started off in news and current affairs. So I worked at the BBC and I think that my first job was in television as a researcher in current affairs. And I then won a place on the BBC course. I was trained as a television reporter. So I worked in various newsrooms up and down the country. So I worked in London. I worked in the north of the country. And I also worked in Northern Ireland. So I was there as a trainee reporter at a period which was called the Troubles, because it was when Belfast um, was, was engulfed in a lot of violence. Some of that was crossed over into the border with the Irish Republic. Some of it played out um, in the mainland on England. But um, I was I was there for a number of months. I really enjoyed it, actually, because um, the people were fantastic. It was a great newsroom. And as the Irish say, we all had a bit of a crack. So it's great. And then I carried on working in news and current affairs. And then um, something quite extraordinary happened to me. I ended up working in the city of London, which is really the, the financial district. It's where the stock brokerages and the banks and various other financial institutions are based. I wasn't a trader or anything like that, but I worked in the Bloomberg newsroom. So when I was there, it was in the 1990s. And I do feel very proud of my Bloomberg connection because I have memories of what Bloomberg was like in those early days. And it's astonishing to see what it has now evolved into because it is quite phenomenal what it does. And certainly when I was there, the only people who knew about Bloomberg were people who worked in the city. Anybody outside the city didn't really know anything about it. So I'm actually rather pleased at the way that the brand has become so universal that it doesn't matter what newsroom you work in, you would have heard of it. And it's also quite fascinating to see graphics on different news channels where they're talking about the behavior of a stock or the economy, nine and a half times out of 10, the graphics that you'll see on those screens are Bloomberg graphics when you see the squiggles and the lines, etc. So I spent a few years there. I then worked as an anchor at Sky News. I started off in the, the business department and then moved over to presenting mainstream programs. I left the company in 2006 because I was made redundant, but it was actually one of the best things that ever happened to me because it meant that I was able to do what I do now. Yes, I do facilitate, but I would argue that um, I actually provide a service. I help corporates in terms of getting their message across, chairing conferences. It takes a lot of work and I'm learning. You are never too old to learn. And it's great because I'm hearing about these things. I'm hearing about things which are happening in the insurance sector. I'm hearing about things which are happening in geopolitical zones, whatever, and how it impacts, for example, in the delivery of aid, all areas. And what really intrigues me is that these are the stories that you don't often hear on mainstream news. You might hear about them if there is a disaster, if something bad has happened, and then people might just say, oh gosh, this insurance company has collapsed. How did this company collapse? 
And then nobody actually looks at some of the underlying eddies which are happening in different sectors, not just insurance, but also financial services generally. The fact that they are facing challenges in terms of keeping clients on board, the seamless experience in customer relations, how you actually embrace new technology, how you use that new technology and at the same time deal with legacy technology issues. To some people, it's very dry and boring to me. I find it absolutely fascinating. I'm not an expert, but I love the way that people are thinking and talking about these things because ultimately it affects all of us. So this is my new growing up and I'm enjoying it. I don't have the delinquency of a juvenile. Maybe I could be a juvenile when I hit my significant milestone year. I don't think I'll go down that route, but I'm having fun. So for me, redundancy was great. It means that I'm able to do things which I've never considered doing before. And I get to meet amazing people like you, Misha. Oh, thank you, Juliet. And where we got introduced was we were both hosting panels at Market Force Lives Insurance Innovators this year here in Nashville, Tennessee. And but I actually got to hear you last year, Juliet, for the first time. <laughs> and it was such an honor and privilege to hear you. You manage the room beautifully. You are engaged with both the audience as well as the panelists. And even you, you know, you navigate the conversations so well. And sometimes you have to push the, com you know, when we are emceeing these, these panels and things, sometimes we need to move the conversation along. Sometimes we need to help pivot the conversation, or sometimes the conversation is just not landing with the audience. And so I was truly inspired by you last year and seeing and hearing you and how you did it. And you definitely wanted to be someone that I want to aspire to be as an upcoming panelist and also a moderator myself. So thank you for being an inspiration uh, for me as well. Well, thank you so much. And the thing is, Misha, you should, well, first of all, you should have introduced yourself to me last year, but you know what? Better late than never. And I saw you, I mean, I saw you at some of the panels because you, you're very, very distinctive and especially your hat. I love your hat. So thank you. The, the next time I see you, watch out for that hat because it might be wending its way to London. At least if it goes missing, you'll know where it is. It's in safe yes. hands. But um, I went to the breakfast on the Tuesday and I was so happy that not just the breakfast, but it was the subject which really engaged everybody. And I thought you handled it incredibly well because that subject was inclusion. OK, yes. it's for men and women of colour, everybody, because, you know, the whole thing, the whole question about diversity and inclusion, it has broadened. It, it shouldn't really be a controversial subject, but for various reasons, and I can only guess at why, it has become controversial. Mm. But I thought you handled it really, really well. You got people talking, okay, on the panel. And above all, you got people engaged in the audience because, okay, some people were a bit shy about asking questions, but they were engaged because I sat down, I, I watched them and they had their eyes on that stage. Yes. And they were milling around the stage even when you had to close things down. Yeah? Yes. So yes, you've got that's them. exactly right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You've got them. And it wouldn't surprise me if the conversations continued even you know, at the end of this, at the end of the session in Nashville, and if those conversations are continuing online. But you know what? I can tell yeah. you they are, actually. Yes. yes. Um, all the panelists 
and I have touched base afterwards. And in our panel that day, we had Alyssa Stamp, who mm-hmm. is the CEO of Insure Equality. We had Edwin Moreno, who is a insurance broker with L.R. Windsor out of Chicago. And then we had Rosie Zelinksis, who is author and founder of No Woman Left Behind. And we, all of them have heard from many individuals post the event, thanking them for us having the conversation, but not just holding space for the conversation, but also just having the honest dialogue and the honest, this is a, you know, this is what's happening in real life. And I think, you know, hats off to Market Force Live and Insurance Innovators for holding space for that conversation, because there are some conferences that don't hold space for that conversation. And so I'm really appreciative of the opportunity that we were able to hold space, that we had such an amazing, diverse panel that they were engaged. They brought statistics and they brought real life examples and they were themselves representing many underserved and underrepresented. And then the audience was very engaged and asking some great questions. And so it's exciting to see the seeds that were planted um, and the, you know, the, the trees and flowers that will grow from that. Absolutely. And you have to make sure that you continue to lead that conversation. Because I think the other thing that you did, and I love the fact that you use that word, we created a space. And you're absolutely right. You did create that space. But the great thing is that you've kept that space on. So it's not it's not a visual space that people can see. It's a virtual mm-hmm. space where people can actually talk. They've got that support. So that's what you've done. So people who in some way feel that, look, you know what, I love this sector but I don't really feel valued where I am or I'm having problems. There isn't really anyone anyone that I can talk to where I can actually get rational advice, which isn't pulling one way or the other. It's sensible because, you know, somebody, you know, there, there are times you, when you're caught in a situation and you need to have a pair of eyes outside your space and somebody who can actually guide you and say, listen, this is what you need to do. If you're not sure, you can talk to me. You've given that to people. And I think that's so important. And I mean, well, I don't even need to say to you, you're going to grow that network. You will grow that network. And you know what? It's it's going to make a huge difference because clearly there is a need for it. And the insurance sector, it needs to get involved in this conversation because otherwise you're going to lose good people. You can't afford to lose these people because they're like diamonds on the beach. If you find one, you hold on to it. You don't throw it back into the sea. That's crazy. Absolutely. And I think having someone, you know, someone whose career has actually been in the insurance space, right, and has lived through a lot of those adversities myself, because for me, it was being a a woman in the space, but also being a working mom in the space. I was, I've been able to bring about my own stories and my own experiences. And the biggest thing as I've shared my story, whether it's on the podcast here or in my book, it's a matter of saying you're not alone, right? There are those of us that are around and it's important to come together and align ourselves with those that have also experienced because we are a community, we are a clan, we are a tribe and it's important for us to come together and embrace one another. And I think what's really important too in these sectors like insurance, like technology, it is so important for us to embrace that diversity because to your point, 
if we don't embrace the diversity, the talent is going to leave and mm. what's going to happen, you know, what next generation is going to come in behind us, right? We talked a lot about this. And I think in one of, in a number of panels at the conference, we talked about the importance of DEIB and talent acquisition, but also mm-hmm. how do you maintain, how do you bring along that next generation who really does care and value about mission and inclusivity? Absolutely, because what you don't want is to have a situation where you've got you've got one generation of people who take the view, well, you know, we don't really need to be involved in these conversations because everything's doing like really, really well. And then you've got another group of people, the generation coming up behind, they're just saying, guys, this really sucks. You know what? We need to make change. And because that call for change is coming up from the bottom, the people who've been there in the middle and at the top because they've been there for yonks, it's like, you know what, we don't need to talk to you people. You know, that, that's like crazy. That is called shooting your business in the foot. That is like tightening a rope around its neck. And frankly, if you take that attitude, your business does not deserve to survive because you know what, you need to listen to these guys who are coming up now because they're not yes. just trying to work in the sector. They're your customers. Yes. And it's, it's, it's like this whole thing around ESG. If you have a company which says, well, you know what, we're very, very green. We do X, we do Y, we do Z. Information is out there. You'll have people say, well, just how green are you? You know, how clued up are yes. you on this? And if they do their homework, they do their digging and they don't like what they see. OK, we know that shareholder activism isn't just sending out the odd message. You know, the social media channels are massive. And you can mobilize people. You can inflict serious, serious damage. Don't let it get to that. Just listen to people. Listen to the arguments. Be part of the conversation. And if you're not sure how to go about constructing these inclusive industries, it's simple. There are people who do this. You work with them. They run businesses which do this. So you can't turn around and say, well, we don't know where to find these people. We don't know how to do these things. You can do these things. You can't be bothered. You know, there was one of it. <laughs> yes, it, it's true. I mean, in, in my industry, news and current affairs, there was this this favourite, um, this this favourite statement that you often found senior program executives would make that if they were questioned about the lack of diversity in news and current affairs and whatever, whatever, they would often say and it tended to be in relation to people of colour. The, the the stock excuse was, well, we know they're out there but we don't really know how to find them because they don't come forward. And I once remember being at this, um, this gathering where this, they, they started the whole thing off with this, this, this video presentation and the final word, the, 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 it actually ended the final word was on that statement that you have this TV executive who said that. And the jeers, <laughs> the swearing, everything <laughs> that, that occurred when, when, when that clip was played, Honestly, and I just thought, well, I haven't got the energy to, to to wolf whistle and all that sort of stuff because I've heard all this so many times before. But how dispiriting that this point in my life and at the time I was in my 40s that I'm hearing it again, you know? Yes, yes. And it's, because it's, it's exactly I think, I, I, you know, the conversation, it's an important conversation that we need to have. And it's a continue, it's not just a one and done conversation. It's a conversation that we need to continue to have. And there is, you know, certainly there is progress that has been made, but there is much more progress to be made. Absolutely, because the world is changing. Mm -hmm. So today, 
the question might be about bringing in certain people that could be men and women of color, LGBTQ+, it's also the disabled. But yes. tomorrow there will be another group. We have to understand and respect the fact that we're not all the same, you know, yes. some people are different, okay? And I mean that in a good way, I'm not at all being disrespectful, but people are different. And yes. there are some individuals who have very specific needs and unless they're talking about it, there's a, there's a risk of feeling alone. And because yes. there's only one person who's seen this, this, the assumption is, well, there aren't that many like that individuals, so therefore we can shut down the conversation. But when more people start talking, their voices become amplified and there's strength in numbers. This is, this is true, it's always gonna happen. So it is a conversation which will never shut down. If you shut it down now because you do one bit of it, you are putting yourself in terrible danger. You have to keep on changing your frameworks accordingly. It's not a bad thing to do. It's a good thing. I think it also makes a business very agile too. Yes. In the conversation, just like business has to evolve. And hmm. uh, because the world is changing and we have to continue to stay keep it close and stay, uh, keep it front and center. Absolutely. So I love how our conversation has just organically evolved, Juliet. And <laughs> let's, uh, let's gently pivot it if we can. You know, I, uh, as I bring on my guests onto the GSD Factor podcast, it's you, there's usually one or two of our attributes that we have in mind, but I'm going to do a little, something a little different with you today. I'm going to, quickly rattle off our six attributes with our short descriptions. And I'd love for you to select the one or two attributes that resonate the most with you. How does that sound? Okay. It sounds very challenging, but you know what? I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> you are. I know you are. All right. So our first attribute is be confident. This is the power in knowing your true authentic self. A person with be com with confidence leads by that example with confident assertiveness. The second attribute is be inquisitive, to always be learning, knowing that we are not the smartest person in the room, but humbly able to mobilize the right team. The third attribute is be imaginative, the determination to dream big, never be satisfied with the status quo, and to live life as an innovating solutionist. The fourth mm -hmm. is be present, the willingness to keep showing up, doing something, and living with the attitude of progress and not perfection. The fifth is be resilient, the choice to persevere, to dig deep, and to turn life's negatives into positives. And finally, be influential, lead by example, looking towards the future while mentoring the next generation. Yeah. Oh, you do set tough challenges, don't you? <laughs> okay, I would say that number one, confidence applies. Be inquisitive, definitely. To a certain extent, be imaginative overlaps with being inquisitive. Yes. Be present, um, showing up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Be uh, number five, Res resilient. resilient. I couldn't read my own handwriting. How terrible is that? Be resilient, definitely agree with that. And influential, I don't see myself as influential, but what you said when you were describing influential, there was something there which really resonated, and that was mentoring. 
That is so damn important sharing. So should we start with the confidence thing first? Because I think that's what you want to do. You want to go through them, don't you? Well, or you just highlight your favorites. Okay, well, let's start with the confidence. Now, it's interesting because when I was when I was younger, I never had any confidence in myself. And I think it was basically because I grew up in the United Kingdom in the 1960s. I was born in this country. And at the time when I was going to school, there was a, a, a really terrible perception on the part of some of my teachers that black children were not terribly bright. And mm. that if we were going to have jobs, that we were going to have jobs which were low paid, they were unskilled, that we didn't have, we didn't have the ability to make something of ourselves. So I sort of grew up with that. And I had very subtle markers, which made the perception of my teachers very, very clear to me. So for example, I mean, I love history. I love reading about history because maybe it's the amateur psychologist in me. Maybe it's also the curiosity of the journalist in me. I'm fascinated by motive. There is no such thing as an inevitability. Yes, in some things, there, there are inevitabilities. If I bought some water in a kettle and poured it over my hand, it's obvious that my hand is going to be scalded. But actions, slightly less predictable. And I think that's what I like. But there was, I, because I was actually enjoyed the subject and really threw myself into these things, I found that I was often undergraded compared to other kids. So you'd have one child who would get a very higher grade compared to myself. I was also very good at art. I was very good at games and things like that, physical education. I wasn't very good at maths, but I think the way that I was taught maths didn't actually help. But the point about it is that when people subtly undermine you, undermine you, there is a risk that you will see yourself as not very worthy and therefore you don't have the right to be ambitious or anything like that. And what kind of changed it for me was an emotional shift at the age of 11, because I came to the conclusion that what happened to me between going to school, starting school at the age of five, and what happened between that point and the, the age of 11 didn't really matter. Because the because I knew that from the age of 11, that was going to be really important because that's when I could actually find out the subjects where I, where I was very good. I would also take um, various certificates. I was determined to go to university. I did that. And as I got older, I realised, and certainly when I went into the workplace, I realised that there were people who would undermine me because um, they didn't feel comfortable having a black woman in the newsroom. I often got hostility from other women as well, the two-facedness and all that sort of stuff. And something kept me going. And sometimes I had to pretend to be confident, even though inside I felt that I was actually crumbling. But I think that for me, as I got older, what increased my confidence was that some of the people who tormented me in the newsrooms, they disappeared into the ether. And I was still there. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I can't be that bad if I'm still here. I worked in the city in a newsroom run by a man who is a multi-billionaire who put everything, he got a huge payoff from the brokerage where he worked, he invested it in this idea. And Michael Bloomberg always used to say, you do not have to be an economist to be an economist, okay? You, as you work here, you will understand how economies work. You will understand what financial experts are saying. You will be able to do X, Y, Z, okay? Believe, if you believe this can happen, it will happen. And that was a massive, massive turning point for me. And I changed because I realized that I have no need to fear anything in this world. And as I grew older, I just thought, you know what? If I work in a place and somebody tells me you need to watch your step, I can just turn around and say, 
I am watching my steps. My steps are leading me out of the door because you know something? I have acquired something that you've never had. I happen to work with a guy who was absolutely brilliant. Brilliance of this nature doesn't just happen, okay? There are some people who are born great. There are some people who are born mediocre, okay? And I was lucky because I met somebody, okay? I worked in his organization and he showed me that you can be what you want to be. And I have become confident. Confidence came to me in my 30s and I refused to let go of that, okay? It's really important, okay? Even if somebody throws something at you and you just think to yourself, geez, I don't think I can handle this. You will be amazed. You can do it. You can absolutely do it. You know, I have actually chaired conferences where I've had people saying to me, oh, so-and-so isn't turning up. And it's like, there are five minutes to go. So it's like, can you change this? Can you change that? And it's like, look, can you just sit down and leave it to me, please? I know what I'm doing. And yes. I get on with it. And I do it. And people are like, wow, how did you handle that? And I think I handled it because I have worked in newsrooms where people will run around like headless chickens. And I've had to deal with this. This is not a newsroom. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Sometimes I find myself having to think for people because they're like, oh, this person's gone. It's no problem. This is what we'll do. OK. Or if they're late, don't worry about it. They're meant to be on this panel. If they're gonna get here, they will get here. If they don't get here, just send me a message on the tablet and I'll know, and I'll just apologize to the audience. That's it. Yes. yes. You know, the world isn't going to end. The point that I'm making is that when you find your confidence, you acquire tools which you put in your toolbox and you will know instinctively which tools to use to get you the team, your client, whoever out of that situation. And the beauty of it is that nobody else needs to know that it looked as if the ship was about to sink. But you, it didn't because you, you led it to safety. You worked together with your team, you led it to safety. So find your confidence. When you find your confidence, you can handle situations, okay? And nothing should hold any fear for you. What I love about your story is how you actually, with your confidence, it is beautifully paired with resilience. Yes, yes. And this is the interesting thing about the points which you've raised, because they all overlap in some way, shape or the other. They do. And absolutely. And, and they're so well chosen. So I tip my hat off to you on that one. I think you've done a really good job. Resilience is so important because in life you will get setbacks. Do you know, I remember how in my twenties, everything was going very, very well for me. I'd left the BBC. I found a job working for a channel in the UK. It was doing very, very well, blah, blah, blah. And then it lost its broadcasting license, not because it had done anything wrong, but because the broadcasting act of that year, this is going right back to the early nineties. It completely changed the landscape of broadcasting in the United Kingdom. So basically, the, the different companies had to put in bids for their particular license and the, the, the company that I was working with, they lost their job. Now, this will make you laugh, okay? Or rather, they didn't lose their job, they lost, lost the license, but this will make you laugh. Okay. Because I was a reporter, I was doing really, really well, and they had to let go of all of us. It was a, it was a gradual thing. So people were, were let loose from the company in tranches. And I thought, everything's gonna be okay. 
because I've done this job, it's high profile, I shouldn't have too many difficulties getting a job. And I laugh because at the time, and all I can say in my defense was that I was in my 20s, at the time, something big, bad and nasty was happening in the outside world. It was called a recession. And to this day, I have never been able to work this out. How can you work in a newsroom and not know that there's a recession happening outside in the big wide world? You know, when you leave the newsroom, you go to your house, you go into the big wide world, you meet people, you have drinks with them, you have dinner with them. And yet you've got this recession happening. And what arrogance that even if you did know there was a recession happening, you thought, you know what, it's not going to hit me. Boy, it did hit me. It hit me hard and it hurt. I was depressed. I thought to myself, that's it. I'm a busted flush. I'm never, ever going to turn my life around from this. But I did. It was a hard, hard journey. But it taught me, do not live in a state of blindness. You can be doing something which is very, very good. You're earning good money. Everything's great. You think you don't need to look at what's happening in the rest of the world. My gosh, you do. You do. I have no control over economies. There are existential things which happen. You and I have no control over them. But when they happen, you need to be aware of them. Because if you're aware, you're able to pivot, prepare yourself. Yeah. And you can survive. Now, we saw this with COVID-19 because we had the lockdowns and there were lots of businesses which suddenly found themselves having to rethink their strategies. The most obvious example, I mean, there's a magnificent cafe not very far away from our home. And the lady who runs it, she's fantastic. And I found out from somebody else that she, she actually wanted to sell the business. And I passed a message on and said, you must not sell this business. You've got too many things going in your favor. You must not sell this business. So what she did, not on my advice, she found the solution. She thought, well, okay, then there are restrictions. I can't have people inside the cafe for obvious reasons, because otherwise I will be fined. What I'll do instead is that just say, look, we are open and I can serve you food. And that's what she did. So she was serving coffees and people were queuing up. And I just I, I said to my husband, because my husband is a chartered accountant, also a businessman. I said, you know what? This business will survive. Look at the queues running from the top of well, from the door, the open door all the way down the street. This is why this business has to stay open, because you have local loyalty. People yes. do not want you to fail. And they're going to do their bit to support you. And they're prepared to do that because you are part of their routine. When that cafe is open, people are going there with their kids or if they want to get a break, they go there. And of course, people wanted because a lot of people were working remotely. They wanted a break. So even if they had coffee in the house, it's like, no, 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 no. Let's go down the road to the cafe because it's a lovely hot day. And yes. we can pick up a coffee, we can have a pastry, and it doesn't matter if we've got to go back to the house, we can drag the walk out, we just need a break, and we need a, a focal point where we can have that break. And that cafe has gone from strength to strength. Mm, now that amazing. is an example, yeah, it's an example of pivoting a business, tapping into your inner resilience. I had to tap into my emotional resilience to survive what happened in that year. Okay, the year that the broadcasting yes. landscape changed. I was impacted by the banking crisis, but I just thought, okay, I have a choice. I have a sink or swim. 
I looked at my my investments. It's like, okay, they're not making a huge amount of money, but they're making some money and I have enough to keep me going. I had other investments in real estate. So it's like, okay, interest rates are low. I'm making enough money to clear the mortgage loans, but to have a surplus. So the surplus will clear any problems with um, maintenance, etc., and there will still be enough to keep me going. So in actual fact, even if the hardcore work that I do is dropping off, which it didn't, I will be okay. And then of course, when we had COVID-19, I found that I lost a lot of work because I couldn't travel, but I was able to work remotely. So I suddenly found I was tested in ways that I never knew before. I was having to chair conferences remotely. I've never done that before, but I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, I've never even heard of Zoom until COVID-19. I've never heard of Microsoft Teams. I had no need to use them, but now sure. I do use them. And it's part of that resilience, okay? If you can actually pivot, okay, you are resilient. If you can actually see that there's a problem and you think outside the box to get around that problem, that shows that you are resilient. And you know what? It's often the crisis which can make you resilient because it's the way that you think. Of course, we initially yes. panic, but you can turn things around, you know? So yeah, yes. you're absolutely correct. There is that overlap between confidence and being resilient. To understand oh, the resilience, you need to be confident. <laughs> yes, yes. So many amazing nuggets here, Juliet. And I feel like we could just talk all afternoon with our coffees and teas. And We can if you want uh, to. I've got some tea here. <laughs> lovely. Well, I would love to have you back on the GSD Factor podcast for another discussion and dialogue. Because like I said, I think that uh, with your experience and um, you know, the conversations are just going to continue. So you definitely have an open invitation at any time. But in our final moments here with our listeners, what would be your final thought that you would want to leave with them? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank your listeners. And above all, I would like to thank you because I do believe in this thing called serendipity. Maybe there was a reason why we didn't talk last year, but there is definitely a reason why we're talking this year, because I really admire what it is that you're doing. OK, you've opened you. things up. You're part of that movement. And I just hope you keep it going. But what I would say to everybody is, look, don't be afraid to accept challenges. And above all, do not be afraid to share. Now, I know that a lot of people and you, you often hear this in the media, a lot of people, particularly older people, they don't like sharing their information. I want to remember when I worked in a newsroom, a young woman came up to me and said, OK, then, um, what do you have to do to do to be an anchor and tell me tell me about the steps that you took so i said well okay then this is this is how my journey began but remember my journey started before you were born okay but even though things have changed there are certain things which do not change do not assume that just because you've got social media and things like that that you don't need to do the basics because you do need to do the basics so over here in the uk well i don't know if this is the case now but certainly when i was training we had to we had to take law exams because, you know, if you're going to be a journalist, particularly if you're covering cases in court, you need to know how to handle yourself so that you do not you, you cannot you don't actually disrupt a legal proceeding because you're in contempt of court. You don't land your news organization in trouble. So I told this, this person, you need to do these things. You may never be a court correspondent in your life, but it doesn't matter. A situation may arise where somebody says to you, you need to get down to the court now. OK, so you need to you need to have those skills. And do not run 
before you can walk. It's great that you want to be an anchor because frankly, I don't want to do this job forever. But if you want to be a really good anchor, get your hands dirty, start from the bottom. It's a great place to start because that's where you make the mistakes, okay? And yes, if you've got very good people, they will tell you that you've made a mistake. They'll tell you in a positive and constructive way. Some people will tell you in a horrible way because they're trying to undermine you. If they're trying to undermine you, believe it or not, that is a good thing because it means that they can sense you have talent. <laughs> and jealous people, they try to undermine the talented, okay? The other thing which I told her is, look, this is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. But you don't need me now. But at some point, you might need me. You will need a shoulder to cry on. Do not cry in a newsroom. Do not cry in an office. OK, you save your tears and you give them to me because I'm not going to undermine you. I've been through your journey. So mm -hmm. unburden yourself. Tell me what's wrong and I will help to guide you. And all I ask from you is that in 30 or so years time, when you're in my position, the chances are that I will be six feet under, but never, ever, ever withhold your help from anybody. Do not be so territorial and so ar arrogant that you refuse to mentor another young person. Because if you mentor them and they become good, that's your triumph too, because you help to make them. Yes, that's they stood your on your shoulders. They stood on your shoulders. That is your protege. Take pride in your protege. You know what? Some of those protégés, they're so proud of what you did for them that they acknowledge it. And yes. what I say to them is, that's great. But just make sure you share your skills with other people. Otherwise, why did I bother in the first place? So that's my advice. Share. I love Don't it. be afraid to share. Because you can't do this forever. You might decide, you know what? Hey, I want to change careers. I want to go to um, Elon Musk's next rocket mission. Not the ones now because they're blowing up. But once they actually safely leave the launch pad and they head off to different planets, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be an anchor anymore. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, and that's such a beautiful note to end on because you talk about, in essence, what we what we really demonstrate in being influential. So that's a perfect ending. Juliet, what is the best way for people to connect with you um, and reach out to you if they would like to? Get hold of me on LinkedIn. Just type out my name, Juliet Foster, J-U-L-I-E-T-T-E, -T -T -E, Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. I usually say to people, as in Dr. Foster. I'm not a doctor, by the way. There's a nursery rhyme character called Dr. Foster. And people say, Juliet, what? Poster? No, Foster, as in Dr. Foster. Just get hold of me on LinkedIn and we can continue the conversation. But you know what? Amazing. I think you are doing an amazing job. Do not stop doing an amazing job. And when you're Thank ready, you. you just send me a message and we'll, we'll we'll actually look at the other points. But you know what? I've had such fun. You are a lovely, lovely interviewer. It's so nice oh, to have somebody who wants to have a chat with me. They don't want to actually knock me down. So thank you. You're great. Oh, thank you so much. And your words are too kind and mean so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining in our conversation today and we look forward to having Juliet on the GSC Factor podcast at a later time but be sure to subscribe and like and comment on our podcast episode today we so appreciate Juliet joining us and don't forget to get shit done bye-bye <laughs> bye-bye thanks for listening to the GSD Factor podcast if you liked this episode, please rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform, where you can also find previous episodes. Let's also connect on LinkedIn and Instagram. 
If you're looking for more information on the GSD Factor, visit us at gsdfactor.com. And always remember to GSD, get shit done.